on the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about baptism. Yeah, and, and sort of in a unique way, Jacob. We want to talk about baptism, the things that must necessarily be true in order for baptism to be effectual, and things that don't matter at all. And the reason why we're going to talk about this is we, we, we saw a little controversy pop up in the Catholic Church that we want to talk about. All right, we're going to get tar- started talking about it. It's a very important subject, and we start right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, February 17th, 2022. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you. Kyle's behind the controls. Kyle. It's good to be here. And uh, my father-in-law is here from uh, Jennings, Florida. Nick, thanks for joining us on the program tonight. Good to be with you all again. Glad that you're here. Uh, We are uh, looking forward to hearing from you tonight at 931-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. And in the chat window to the right-hand side of your video feed tonight, if you're on a desktop, still to the bottom of your video feed if you're mobile, uh, you can sign in and chat with other listeners there. Yeah, we got we got a, a, a really effective guy working on our website to kind of clean it up and make it more effective. And and so uh, if you know you can give us some feedback about that if you like the changes or if you're having problems with the changes, uh, you know if if you can give us any feedback pro or con uh, that might be helpful. But now you can chat and watch at the same time on your phone, which is was previously impossible. I had been told. Um, so now, so you can a, on the phone. You can, on your phone. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's a big improvement. Uh, but whatever you do, make sure you do comment uh, tonight. If you're listening to us live, or even if you're listening to us in the recorded version, we want to hear from you uh, at any time. The email address to use again: questions at collegeview.com. So here's the news story that prompted us to talk about this subject tonight. This comes from Fox News. The title of the article is Catholic Priest Incorrectly Performed Thousands of Baptisms by Changing a Word, Making the Baptisms Invalid. Uh, a priest has, the, the article goes this way, a priest has resigned from a Catholic church in Phoenix, Arizona after it was determined he incorrectly performed thousands of baptisms for decades by changing one word. Father Andres Arango resigned from St. Gregory Catholic Church in Phoenix after it was determined he used the words we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit instead of the correct phrase, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is according to Thomas Olmsted, the bishop of the Diocese of Phoenix. The issue, he explained, with using we is that it is not the community that baptizes a person. Rather, it is Christ and him alone who presides at all the sacraments. And so Christ Jesus, it is Christ Jesus who baptizes. Oh, because they, they believe the priest is 
the representation of Christ. Uh, sounds like it does. Though they it? do in the in the in the Catholic Church. Yeah. Uh huh. Arango, if I'm saying his name right, served as a pastor, parochial administrator, a parochial vicar, and other religious titles in Arizona, California, and Brazil over the past 20 years. The Diocese of Phoenix said that because of his error, all of the baptism he has performed until June 17, 2021, are presumed invalid. Uh, again, the, the diocese told USA Today that Arango per- performed thousands of baptisms during his time in his priestly ministry. Uh, he resigned as the peri- uh, pastor of the parish f- effective February 1. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, it, it goes on to describe that it, this is interesting. The Catholics believe baptism is a requirement for salvation. And so uh, those people who he erroneously baptized by their doctrine are not are, are not subject to salvation. Uh, wonder how many of those people might have died thinking in the Catholic Church. Of course, we got we got a lot of issues to discuss here, but they they presumed they were all right, and the Catholic Church says now their baptism is valid. But you got to be baptized to be saved, according to the Catholic Church. Now what? I read someplace else, and it's not in this article. I was I was trying to see if it was in this uh, article. So the Catholic Church believes that they are sacraments of the church, and the baptism is the first one. And then others follow, and one of the sacraments of the Catholic Church is marriage. Mm -hmm. But if you haven't been properly baptized, if you haven't engaged that initial sacrament properly, then you can't engage any of the other sacraments, according to them. Uh And so now these people according to the Catholics, are not saved. And if they married, they're not really married either. They got a big mess on their hands. I mean, a major big mess on their hands. Wow. Um, we're seeing some of the the folly here of uh, these man-made laws and uh, commandments that they've set up here. So that was, the, that was the story in the news that got us thinking about this topic. And so we want to talk about... Things that are essential for scriptural baptism and things that are not essential. So uh, here's the questions I sent out earlier today to our update list. Number one, comment on these things and indicate whether they are essential in order for a person to be scripturally baptized. One, the place where a person is baptized. Two, the person who does the baptizing. Three, the words spoken when the baptism is performed. And, of course, that's the issue in this storyline. And four, the bodily posture taken by the one being baptized. Question two, what does the Bible teach about the knowledge and motive of the one being baptized in order for the baptism to be valid? So comment on what you got to know and what you got to be intending to do, what your motive is in baptism. Number three, what things must necessarily precede Bible baptism? And number four, can we be sure that a particular form of baptism is essential? Sprinkling, pouring, immersion, and so forth. So those are the questions we want to try to cover tonight. Interesting. So when I read that news article, it did not strike me that the significance here of saying I versus we because they believe Jesus is doing the baptism. Catholics believe that when the priest is in his priestly garb, he is the representation of Christ and they actually have a little bell in the back of their auditorium, their sanctuary, whatever they call it. When the priest comes in, they ring the bell so that everyone knows that 
the manifestation of Christ is now in the room. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That. So now know. when he goes up to baptize the baby and he says, I baptize you, then that's, I guess, Jesus is baptizing the baby and he can't say we. Yeah. According to their well, that's what the, their, that's yeah. what that's what the 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 archbishop or who was this guy, uh, the bishop of the diocese of Phoenix says the issue with using we is that it's not the community that baptizes a person, rather it is Christ and Him alone who presides at all the sacraments. Okay. So it is Christ Jesus who baptizes. So he has to say I because he's acting like Christ. Yeah. Some, all right, so uh, we got so what we've got there, here, no doubt. Wow. So, uh, according to their own estimates, thousands of people now have invalid baptisms in the Catholic Church. Okay. So what? What? This really raises the question: Are they right? You know, what? What is necessary? What's not necessary? And so we just ask about to, for people to comment here on several things. For instance, what about the place where you are baptized? Uh, you have to be baptized in a particular place. And, and the reason I was asking this is you're probably aware uh, that every year thousands of people go to Palestine to be baptized in the Jordan River. As if being baptized in the Jordan River makes baptism more special than being baptized someplace else. Uh, some people would argue well, you need. I've heard. I've heard people are. You have. You need to be baptized in flowing water. You can't be baptized in standing water. For that reason, they would object to having a baptistry in a church building because the the water's still. It's not flowing. Uh, some people say, well, you got to be baptized in a church building. Uh, someone got baptized in a swimming pool. Oh no, that's no good. You can't be baptized in a swimming pool. Uh, you know, so. Well, people have in mind maybe that the particular place uh, uh, is essential. Now, the fact of the matter is Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. Mark chapter 1, beginning verse 4, Jesus did, or excuse me, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and there and and were bab- all of them baptized at him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. So Jesus and lots of other people in that time frame were baptized in the Jordan River. But think how unreasonable that would be if God had put that demand on the whole world. The fact of the matter is that most could never be saved because most could never get there. You know, the vast majority of people would not have the option of traveling there to be baptized right. in the Jordan. And that that would go against the very nature of God. That would be unfair and unjust. And God is not that. Uh, so th- there's no requirement on the place where we should be baptized. Uh, but again, you know, so someone said, well, at least you ought to be in, in a creek or a stream or a river where the water is flowing i don't think so i got an argument against that in the case of the ethiopian eunuch in acts chapter 8 uh, acts 8 verse 26 beginning the angel lord spake to philip saying arise go toward the south and to the way that goeth down from jerusalem unto gaza which is desert and as they went on their way they came to a certain water I think literally that that expression, a certain water, could be translated a kind of water. Some kind of, they came upon some kind of water. Generic. It, and so, yeah, rivers don't 
typically flow through deserts. Uh, this was a desert place. And so, you know, I, th- I think the case of the Ethiopian eunuch probably argues against the the argument that you have to be baptized in flowing water. I knew a lady once who, who had this view. I knew of, I didn't know the lady, but I, I heard the story told of a lady who had this view that you have to be baptized in flowing water. And she just was not satisfied with being baptized in a, in a baptistry in a church building. So what they did, Nick, is they turned the they turned the tap on the baptistry until the water got up and started flowing out the overflow, and that satisfied her that it was flowing water, so she was okay with that. All right. Um, certainly, uh, we have to be careful. Uh, you see the folly of placing your restrictions, your constraints, your rules on on things religiously. Um, the Catholics are in that quandary right now, and we can be as well if we don't go back to the Scriptures for our authority. Exactly right. Okay. Um, so, again, I've, I think it's pretty clear. Uh, there might be a few people who would try to argue against that, but it, it's clear that there was no, there's no restriction or, or requirement placed upon the location, the spot where you were baptized. What about the person doing the baptizing? Now, that's a little, that's, I think, a, a more interesting question. So, uh, lots of people, I, I believe, would argue that a baptism is not valid unless it's performed by a special person, a, a priest, maybe, in the Catholic Church. They, I think they would, they would definitely demand that it be a priest as the representative of Jesus, as you just explained, Jacob. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people would think maybe it has to be an ordained minister. At least got to be a preacher <coughs> if he's going to do the baptizing. I don't find that in the scriptures either. I don't find any requirement placed upon the 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 baptizer. Right. Uh, if, again, if you think about it, it, so if there's if if the baptizer has to meet certain expectations, then your salvation is contingent upon his standing. In other words, if he is of proper standing, your baptism's okay. If he is not of proper standing, then you thought you were getting baptized okay, but you're not. And uh and I, again, I don't think God in his infinite wisdom would put such a requirement on. Actually, that that rule would require that you could establish an unbroken chain of succession all the way back to the 1st century and to the inspired apostles. Because if any place in that 2,000 years there was somebody who was unqualified and they baptized somebody else, but then ever thereafter we had qualified people doing the baptizing. But somewhere 1,400 years ago there was an unqualified person who did a baptizing. Now everybody who's baptized down that chain, thousands, uh, hundreds if not thousands of years later, are in are in invalid baptism that, that, god god is in his infinite wisdom would never place such a requirement that's basically what they're saying here though right yeah. is that uh, these guys did invalid baptisms now there's going to be these invalid result uh, consequences down the line uh and on and on it goes it's amazing uh the mess that they're in yeah let's see what our emailers say real quick jacob and then we get a break all right dwight and michelle in the chat room said that would mean the baptizer would have to meet qualifications uh, now, what are which, they? Which are not specified. Not specified, right? Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, says the place or location is not relevant to the act of baptism. There does not, there does of necessity need to be a sufficient amount of water 
for the one to be immersed. Yeah, the scripture says John was baptized. I think in John twelve forty eight or forty two. That's not right. John was baptizing in at at Eden near to Salem because there was much water there. Yeah. All right. And what he, is that text, uh, uh, Nick? Nick? You got it. I believe in John 4. Yeah. I mean, excuse me, 3. I was reading it just a moment ago. Yeah, John 3.23. Dwight and Michelle are on into the chat room. They said John 3 as well. John 3.23, yeah. All right. Uh, Kit goes on. There are no requirements found in the New Testament that would be conditions to be met for one to be qualified to administer baptism. The qualifications found in the New Testament are conditions that non-Christians must meet qualifying them to receive spiritual baptism. If the validity of one's baptism is dependent on the one who administers such one could never know whether or not their baptism was scriptural. No one can trace their baptism in an unbroken chain of succession right. from the time they were baptized all the way back to Pentecost next. But that's what would be required. Right. Mohan says none of those are essential. If you, I have heard some on YouTube indicate that a male faithful member of the church has to do the baptizing, which seems cult-like, as you have to trace the baptism centuries ago. If this were the case, also being added to the universal church is not the same as being added to the local church. So as long as the plan of salvation is followed, followed properly, it is valid as someone does not have to know everything. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, Mohan Dwight in his email tonight says, as for the place, the verse that comes to mind for me is Acts 8, 35 and 36. Then Philip opened his mouth. The beginning of the scripture preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? As far as I can see, the place is anywhere as long as there's enough water to go down into. Notice also in verse 39 where it says, When they came up out of the water, the bodies were, were in the water to perform the scriptural baptism of immersion. Yeah. And the person doing the baptizing, as we see in the scriptures, is just that, a person assisting you to carry out the baptism of immersion. They're not saving you or doing anything worthy of praise. Philip taught the eunuch about Jesus and baptized him. The eunuch was the one who came to the conclusion he needed to be baptized. Philip did what he was to do, teach. And then Grant says, um, the place is not essential. The place could be a river, a lake, ocean, swimming pool, etc. I do not read in the book of Acts where a specific place is specified when one is baptized. This would fall into the category of general authority. And uh, he says, the person who does the baptizing is not essential. I do not read in the book of Acts where a specific person is specified to perform the baptism. Again, this would fall in the realm of general authority. Notice the Apostle Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 1, 14 through 17, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the house of, household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other, for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. I think that we're all on the same page by that. But I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go farther out on the limb here. I'm going to say that the person who baptized you doesn't even have to be a Christian. There's no requirement of the baptizer. If your salvation is contingent on the spiritual standing of that baptizer, now where he's got to be a faithful Christian or he's got to be in a right standing with God to baptize you, how do I know that about him? Uh, you know, only God knows whether he is in a right standing or not. There's absolutely no scriptural requirement on, on the person doing the baptizer. So let's say that you and me, Jacob, get stranded on a desert island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and in the debris that washes up from the shipwreck with us is a Bible. Now, we've never read or studied the Bible before, but we get to reading that Bible. we got we got a lot of time on our hands on this deserted the, island. The pages were dry when it washed up? Well, we dried them out. Oh, you dried them out. Okay. And, 
And so we get to the point, we figure out we've got to be baptized. Well, who's going to baptize who? Well, I'll baptize you, but I've not baptized yet. I'll baptize you. Oh, uh, then you'll baptize me, but. Well, well, we got we got a we got a, a vicious. What do they call that in computing? We got an endless loop of some kind going on here. Yeah, but we got the old desert island scenario yeah, here. Yeah. Uh, okay, Nick. It, it's interesting that in John four, you know, when Jesus was on the earth, it says even though he and his disciples are under John's baptism, of course, this yeah. is, but it, it says uh, they baptized more than John did. Yet Jesus himself did none of the baptizing. And it's interesting to see that the Catholics are saying that that person is standing in for Jesus when he didn't even do the baptizing himself uh, under while the one that was valid at that time. That's real interesting, Nick. I hadn't even thought about that. But they, Jesus Jesus never did any baptizing, but now they say he has to do the baptizing. Uh, interesting, yeah. Okay, Eric's going to take us off the wall here, and maybe we can take this into the break. Could I... Could one person baptize him or herself? All right. Let's okay. That. So the, here's uh, yeah. Think about that. We'll we'll address that when we get back from the break. Can you baptize yourself? Comment in the chat room tonight or give us a call nine three one three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeu.com. We're back right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. Here's a quick thought. With the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Romans 10, verse 10. Belief begins in the heart. With your whole heart and leads to a willingness to confess Jesus as the Son of God. Will your belief cause you to boldly speak for Him today? Think about it. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Happiness is inward, not outward. It does not depend on what we have, but on what we are. No person is too big to be kind and courteous. But many people are too little. A weak mind is like a microscope which magnifies trifling things but cannot receive great ones. Man, wish I'd said that. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about baptism. And uh, Eric's question before the break, could, I pa- could one person baptize himself or herself? Uh, well, I, I want to take I want to take what I think is the first obvious answer is it, baptism. Be repent and be baptized. Acts two thirty eight. Uh, that suggests a passive. In, in other words, you passively allow this to happen to you. you. Repent and be baptized, everyone. That expression would suggest someone else doing that. So clearly, that's the biblical pattern. Uh, again. Uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, they went, they both went down into the water and he baptized him and they both came up out of the water. So that's, the, I, I would argue that in all, all circumstance, that's the pattern to follow. What if you were on the desert island? Oh boy. By yourself now. Oh boy. I guess I'd probably try to baptize myself if it, if it, if I was in that, but that's an almost impossibly imaginable scenario. I would say in all circumstances, baptism is something that is done to you. It you is are. a burial. You do not bury yourself. Yeah. Uh, Nick, your thoughts on that? Well, I, I've, 
I usually think of someone doing the the burial, yeah. uh, assisting. Uh, uh, we realize there's other other things also involved, you know, of making the good confession. And usually, the one who's doing the assisting, especially if they are the teacher, they they would want to make sure that the person has understood that they have to make this good confession. Yeah. I believe Jesus Christ is Son of God, and so they're, you know, it has to be it, done before others. It, exactly. Okay. Good, good, good point. All right. Uh, I don't know, Eric, Eric, if that answers your question or not. Appreciate you throwing that curveball our way. We're going to have to hurry here. Grant in the chat room, and Grant and Janie, I remember reading of an individual who came to know the truth who had to convince a Baptist preacher to baptize him. This was in the time of the Restoration Movement. So yeah. that, that, that would go to the idea that uh, no, no definition for who has to do the baptism, baptizing. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Real, let's get to the let's get to what generated our study in the first place. What about the words spoken? What uh, do, do you have to say a a a, spec, a specified formula of words in order for the baptizing to be scriptural? That's what the Catholic Church is saying, and that's why they're declaring thousands of people are invalidly baptized because the guy doing it said one wrong word. Well. We know that Jesus taught in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, that's the phrase that they're wanting to pick up on. But that's not a formula of words. That's a description of what you're doing. That's a description of the authority by which people are being baptized. They're being baptized in the name of or by the authority of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Uh, so, you know, what do we see as we go to the book of Acts, for instance? In Acts chapter 10, verse 48, when Peter was at the house of Cornelius, Acts 10, 48, Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Well, wait a minute, that's different than in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Looks like there's not a formula there. It looks like it's a description of the action the action is by the authority of. Again, it, I think you just got to emphasize the point that if if my baptism is dependent upon the baptizer guy saying the right words, then again, my salvation hinges on him, not on myself. My baptism and my ultimate salvation, because the Baptist Church says these people, I mean, the Catholic Church says these people are not saved because he said the wrong word. I just can't believe that God in his wisdom would put such a obviously flawed process in place. Okay. Uh, what our listeners said about that, uh, Kent says no specific, uh, the designer's uh, purpose of baptism is clearly caught in the New Testament. However, there's nothing set forth as a specific formulation of words that must be recited when one is being baptized. We are told what to do in being baptized, not what to say. There is nothing unscriptural in saying what one is doing. But there's no divine requirement to say anything. When I baptize individuals, I always like to verbally state that what I'm doing as a means of encouragement and additional teaching to those being baptized as well as for the benefit of any non-Christians present. This does not mean that there's an official formula that must be recited for baptism to be valid. Mohan, uh, yeah, doesn't touch on this one. Um, Dwight says the words spoken are not what saves you. The person doing the baptism is not, is not what saves you. It is your obedience to God and his will. First Peter 3.21 says it is baptism that saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. Do believe that one needs to confess Jesus to be the son of God 
So you need to say the right thing, but the baptizer doesn't. Uh, Grant says the words spoken are important when a baptism is performed. Jesus gave specific instructions in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all things that I commanded you, and though I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I kind of respectfully disagree with Grant on that. I don't think the words are important at all. I don't think that, I don't, in fact, I don't even think you have, a word has to be spoken. Well, it has to be understood. The authority, and that's what Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is saying. It needs to be understood that this act is being engaged by the authority of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. But I don't believe that there's any specified formula of words. I don't believe any word has to be said as long as, as long as both the baptizer and the baptized and the person being baptized understand we're doing this based upon what the scriptures teach. Yeah, and I would I would I would point to that language baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I that's the similar language to what we see in Colossians 3 verse 17 and whatsoever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So do I have to say I am giving of my means in the name of the Lord Jesus? I'm singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm brushing my teeth in the name of the Lord Jesus. No. So that's by the authority. I think yeah. Grant's commenting in the chat room that he agrees uh, yeah, with yeah, that, yeah. that conclusion. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Grant. Yeah. When you think about baptism and the description in Colossians 2.12, uh, it talks about while it is actual, a literal being buried in water, it is also a spiritual act. Uh, of circumcision, the spiritual circumcision. It, it describes it there, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. So the candidate that is being buried in the water needs to understand that he uh, is uh, using, an, through his faith, an operation of God. It's not just something a man or the one assisting him is doing. He needs to understand that in order to see what Bible baptism. Because when I was a kid, you know, I used to dive out of a tree into the river many times, and I, you could say, well, he was immersed yeah. or, or baptized in that sense. But I was not doing that as faith in an operation of God to have my sins washed away and, and see that spiritual. So yeah. when people understand that and they understand it, you don't have to say a word for yeah. that to be accomplished I on think, that person. Now, that has there. to be taught to them or they have to understand that no matter whom they're asking to assist them. I think you're exactly right, Nick. Um, Brian in California asks, is there a distinction to be made between in versus into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Um, I don't know. What, uh, uh, give, us a, give us a Bible reference there, Brian, as, as to the verse that you might have in question. The King James says in Matthew 28:19, and this is the phrase that the Catholics are duplicating, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe some newer translation says into the name of. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe give us give us a scripture reference on that, Brian. All right. Curveball number two from Grant and Janie tonight. Can a woman baptize a woman? I think so. I don't think there's any requirement on the baptizer. Uh, the scripture never states a requirement on the baptizer. And so I would say, yeah. Could a so. woman baptize a man? I, I, this is probably not a popular view, but I'd say probably yes. Not, I don't think it'd be typical, but I, but again, I don't, I, I cannot find in the Bible a qualifying 
statement as to what must be true of the baptizer. Nick? Yeah, the baptizer may be a person who is viewed as a gospel preacher, for example, among us. And he may be uh, involved in some sort of sin, and he might be a reprobate. Yeah. So I don't think the one who's doing the assistings, what their moral value is going to keep the person who understands what he's doing when he's being assisted. Yeah. Uh, uh, or the, actually obeying the command God gives. That, that's where I, I the th- importance is. I think you is. could come up, Dick. I think you could come up with some scenarios where prob- probably a woman shouldn't. So, right. so you're getting ready to baptize somebody, and this woman steps in and says, "Get out of the way, Nick. I'm taking over here." <laughs> well, it's not the problem. Is not that it's a woman baptizing. It's, the problem is that she's trying to have authority over a man, right. which the Bible forbids. Uh, Brian references the American Standard Version. Matthew 28, says, verse 19. Into, into. I thought maybe it was a, another translation, yeah. Okay. I don't know, Brian. I, I, I can't comment intelligently. We'll have to look at that. Okay. It's better to admit that than to comment unintelligently. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're going to get a break and get this week's bullet point when we get back. Well, let's do the bodily posture now. Or you want to well, well let's just do that real quick. Does a person have to be in a certain position to be baptized? You know what we typically do? We get in a, in a pool of water, and then the one who's doing the baptizing lays the person over backwards. Uh, and immerses them in the water and then brings them out. I think the reason we do that, I don't, I don't know for sure, but I think the reason why that became sort of the traditional way to baptize is because it is sort of symbolic of laying someone in a grave, you know, uh, and then bringing them up. Uh, there's some symbolism there, but I, I, again, I can't see that it's taught in the scriptures anywhere that it has to be done that way. And I, I've actually baptized people different in a different form. Well, I, I remember one time when we were in Cuba. It was a very dry place, and we got in a creek where there was just one little pothole of water, just enough for two people to stand in, and the preacher just basically, the person just kind of did a, did a just straight down dunk, you know, just kind of squatted down in the water so it went completely over them. They were immersed. But there wasn't enough water there to lay somebody down in it. Uh, I, I know in Russia we baptized people in bathtubs. It, you have to be immersed. We'll talk about that later. But uh, as far as a bodily position that you have to assume, I, I, I can't read it in the Scripture. I think, again, the burial is important yeah. because I don't know if you've had trouble like I have. Uh, I, I've seen people, when you lay them over backwards, they're afraid of the water. They'll yeah. reach up and put their hand on your shoulder, yeah. grabbing yeah. it, yeah. or their feet will come up. And so, and, and you have people with various ailments, too, sometimes, like, neck injuries or back injuries and be afraid of the water as well and you get them down on their knees and just go forward with them i know as one long time as you bury them i believe is the important i know one time we were uh, it took two of us a man who was terminally ill with cancer very very weak we actually took a chair and put it in the baptistry got him in there and sat him on the chair and he just was this much above the water and then we just eased him over forward to get him completely under the water those are unique circumstances, but again, I don't think that there's any requirement about a specific bodily posture you have to take. All right. Uh, quickly, Kent says no specific body, specific bodily posture is set forth in the scriptures that one must follow in order to receive New Testament baptism. The critical aspect in the reception of scriptural baptism is total immersion, not the bodily posture of the one being baptized. Um, and Dwight says, there's no scripture to my knowledge. It teaches us to be in a certain position when we're being baptized. I do believe for at least the one being baptized, they must be in enough water to be fully immersed. Right. Grant says the individual needs to be in a position such that he can be properly baptized. All right, good. 
Time for this week's bullet point when we get back, some uh, prerequisites. Let's talk about things that uh, now, so everything we talked about so far tonight is things that are not necessarily essential to be scripturally baptized, but there are some things that are essential, and we've got to cover those. All right. We're going to get uh, that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Jesus said to his disciples, quote, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung about his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. Luke 17, verses 1 and 2. All must agree that the Lord's warning is a serious one. Surely we must be careful to avoid offending anyone who is a child, a new convert, a weak Christian, or others who are vulnerable. There are a couple of simple ways that we could place a stumbling block in the path of another without really realizing it. Consider, for instance, our example. When at-risk individuals observe a Christian engaging in suspect activities, it places a huge temptation before them to imitate that example. When they fall into sin as a result, there is no doubt that God will hold the offending party responsible. Christians need to seriously consider where they go, what they do, with whom they associate, and so forth. Others are watching and observing. Will they be damaged by what they see in you? Or here's another way we might cause a stumbling block. By thoughtless comments. Far too often, brethren will espouse strange or unproven ideas in the presence of new converts or weak brethren. Sadly, this frequently happens in our Bible classes. While it may have only been offered to spark conversation or generate discussion, the outcome is that the susceptible hearer is shaken in faith and left in a spiritually precarious position. Examples of this sort of thing would include those who voice arguments in favor of social drinking or dancing, while adding the disclaimer, Now, I don't do it myself, but what are these folks thinking? Do they not see the stumbling block they have carelessly cast in the path of others? The Apostle Paul said that he would forego anything that might cause offense to a brother. 1 Corinthians 8, verses 8 through 13. We should do the same. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Roger Toomes, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Back on the program tonight. This program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at collegeu.com or youtube.com slash. Yeah, what's your College View live stream? College View live stream. Got some our sermons on there and our Bible studies. There you go. Yeah, and we we just recently, this week, are instituting a little bit of a change. If any of you all who are listening are frequent viewers of our live stream, we're just going to do it a little bit different, just a little modification. So the live stream on College View live stream will not start until the actual Bible class begins, and it will end when the Bible class ends uh, during Sunday's uh, morning and evening worship. The live stream will start when the sermon begins. It will end when the sermon ends. And so if you get on there and you say, oh, wow, they forgot to start the stream, just hang on because it will start when the class or the sermon begins. All right. Cutting Kyle's pay for that. That's making it harder on Kyle. Oh, well, it's, to... it's good. I think we're still streaming, and as long as people don't, which, yeah, it's still there. Yeah, we're still studying, and that's good. All right. All right. Um, let's go on. Uh, you uh, know, the interesting thing here, they're, all, they're worked up about what the priest says when he's baptizing the infant, because really that's the only person who has any 
saying what's going on. The the infant is, I mean, the infant doesn't know if he's getting ready to get his diaper changed or they're going to sprinkle some water on his head. The only the only person that could be the only variable in the equation is what the priest says. So you get now you get wrapped up into did he say the right words? Yeah, you know, in, in, in our study tonight, we don't even have time to address the question of infant baptism. But it shows but, the but, fallacy of that because now I got to be I got to be worked up on what does this priest or this guy do? Yeah, is he qualified? Did he say the right things? Did he say the right things? They got to, they got all of these artificial because the requirements because the it. candidate's totally passive doesn't even know what's going on yeah it has to you be know, dependent uh, on the on the priest what we want to talk about next would touch on the idea of infant baptism because we ask what does the bible teach about what you must know and what you must be intending to do knowledge and motive what what must what must you know and what must be your motive in being baptized well first of all you got to know some basic essentials jesus and that's Verse that we've mentioned several times now, right? Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So you teach first, and then you baptize. And so a person has to know what they're doing. That's why the infant. That's one of the reasons why the infant can't be baptized scripturally. We could talk about the innocence of children. They do not inherit sin. They don't need to be baptized. They don't have any sins to be cleansed of. But even if they did have sins, they couldn't be scripturally baptized because they can't be scripturally taught first. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the first requirement is you have to have basic understanding of the truths of the scripture. Now, obviously, you can't know everything. None of us know everything. We're still studying and learning. But you have to know the basics about Jesus, about his sacrificial death on the cross, about his atoning shed blood. Uh, about salvation from sin and about uh, the commitment that you're entering into. A whole, uh, several things. That might be an interesting study in itself to compile a, a, a list of the essential things you must know. But obviously you have to have basic knowledge of Scripture. All right. Um, let's see here. Uh, what do we see from Kent? There, there in Acts 8, you know, that's exactly uh, what, Philip asked the eunuch, understandest what thou readest? And he said, and no. He, and, he, and so he began at the same scripture and preached to him Jesus. So, uh, you know, it was the eunuch that needed to understand the the hearing, re, uh, believing, repenting, confessing. And, and the baptism and didn't happen until yeah. he had received that information. And we have a command also that Paul says, uh, you know, be not unwise, but wise, understanding the will of the Lord. A person can't really do any of the commandments of the Lord without understanding what he's doing. There's a, there's a case in Acts chapter 18 where uh, some men were baptized without sufficient knowledge. They were baptized. They should have been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They had instead been baptized by John's baptism. Same act, but with insufficient information, and they had to be baptized again because they didn't know enough. And so there's some basic things we have to know. Yeah, we don't know everything, and we're not going to be... Uh, fully aligned with everything in the scriptures when we're first baptized nor after we've been baptized for many many years we're still growing but there's some fundamentals that we need to know kent says one cannot ignorantly obey any command of god neither is it possible to obey a requirement of god that has a specific design or purpose attached to it without a sufficient knowledge or understanding of the design or purpose of such a requirement romans 6 17 through 18 Obviously, one is not required to know everything about the New Testament in order to obey the gospel and become a New Testament Christian. However, in the New Testament, it makes it clear that 
very clear regarding the design or purpose of New Testament baptism, such as for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38, such as into the one spiritual body of Christ, the New Testament church, 1 Corinthians 12.13. If it is the case that New Testament baptism is, A, for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38, and B, that remission of sins is found in the New Testament church, Acts 2.47, and C, that one must understand the design of baptism being for the remission of sins, Romans 6.17 and 18, then D, one must also understand that remission of sins is found within the New Testament church for baptism to be valid. Okay, so... uh uh, Kent goes into some detail there as to what you must know and why you must be engaging the act. And so I must know it is for the remission of sins. I must know that it's to be added to the body of Christ. I must know that it's for the hope of heaven and eternity. And, and it is for those reasons that I engage the act. That's what I want to do. And that's why I'm doing this is for those purposes. So knowledge leads to proper motive, I think you, you would say. I really like Kent bringing up Romans 6, because Romans 6 is a class, the start of the chapter is classic description of baptism. Uh, Romans 6, verse 3, know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up by the dead, from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So contextually, he has just immediately discussed baptism. Skipping down in the chapter, Verse 17, God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. And notice, they had, so what what was the form of doctrine delivered to them? It included baptism. It wasn't everything, but it included baptism. And he said they had obeyed that from their heart. It wasn't just an outward action. It was an, an act from the heart. All right. Um Bohan says, one needs to know it is for remission of sins and that belief, repentance, and confession must precede baptism. I've read that many in the 1800s part of the Restoration Movement believed one did not have to know that baptism was for the remission of sins to be valid, and they accepted baptisms of various denominations to be valid, but I don't agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with Mohan on that, uh, because there are there are certain religious denominations that baptize they engage the same act, but not for the same reason. For instance, many of our Baptist church friends believe you their their doctrine is you are saved when you believe you're baptized at some point later but it's not for salvation you're already saved when you believe you're baptized usually to be admitted into the church or many times they describe it as an outward sign of an inward grace you do it to show you have already been saved that's not that's not what the bible teaches so i i would argue that people coming from that should be baptized again because they didn't know and weren't doing, they weren't engaging the act of baptism for the right reason. Okay. Uh, Dwight says, the word of God teaches us we need to understand what baptism is and what it does for us. First Peter 3.21 says it's an answer of a good conscience towards God, uh, to God. Baptism saves us. Romans 6, 3 and 4, baptism puts us in touch with the blood of Jesus. Acts 2.38, Acts 22.16, baptism washes away our sins. I believe the scriptures teaches us what baptism is and what it does for us. If we don't understand this, then we are being baptized for what purpose? Uh, and Grant says, uh, one approach to look at is uh, all the conversions of the book of Acts and list what was taught concerning God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the kingdom, and personal obligations. Okay. All right. Good. good. Okay. That might be a good study for us to engage at some point in the future. Talk about sort of come up with a short list of here are the absolutely basic essentials 
that you need to know in order to be baptized. Okay. Wow. We, we can talk about that. Uh, Brian in California, is it possible when in Acts we hear the mention of, of only the name of Jesus that is more of a juxtaposition to separate John's and Jesus' baptisms? Well, it, it certainly does that. Uh, but I actually think, so in Acts 10, Peter told Cornelius and his household, be baptized in the name of the Lord. That is actually the same thing as to be na- to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because, again, it's about authority. And so, uh, as Brian says, it, it certainly made, it drew a distinction between the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus. But it, I still argue that it, it is, in its essence, a statement of the authority by which it's being done. Okay. All right. Uh, let's get a break when we get back. Real quickly, we've got to talk about the necessary prerequisites of Bible baptism, and then what about the form of baptism? Boy, going to go fast. We're back right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. Fewer than 10% of evangelical Protestants want to have shorter sermons during worship, while nearly a third want more in-depth teaching. This is according to a recently released survey. According to the report, only 7% of respondents want sermons to be shorter, while 85% believe the sermon links are acceptable as they are, and about 8% said they wanted sermons to be longer. That information is via the Christian Post. The Word of God says in Psalm 122, verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight as we go to the top of the hour. Now, prerequisites to baptism. All right. I want to do this just really quickly, and I don't even know if we have time to read all of our uh, email responders, but uh, there are some things that must precede baptism. You first have to be taught, Mm -hmm. uh, because Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And so I've got to be taught enough that I can develop faith, that I can believe. So you you have to be taught so that you can believe. You have to... Repent of your sins. Jesus said in Luke 17, 3, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So repenting of my sins, turning from sin. I have to confess that I believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Romans 10, verse 10, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation in order to get to salvation. So I have to hear and believe, repent and confess before I'm baptized. Then I'm baptized and, and baptism is not the be-all and end-all, but baptism is in that process to get to the remission of sins. Peter said in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so that's, that's what we often teach as the plan of salvation. 
And those things have to happen in that order. They, you, you can't be baptized first and taught later. That's what the Catholics are doing to these infants. They're baptizing them with the idea that they'll teach them later the things they need to know. That's not the biblical pattern, not even close. Yeah, and I've heard others say, well, you baptize the kid, and that somehow gives them some type of blessing from the Holy Spirit where they would be receptive to the truth. That The Scriptures don't teach that. Uh, Nowhere do the Scriptures teach that. Here's what Kent says. A study of the conversion accounts in the book of Acts give inspired information regarding elements that must precede New Testament baptism. A, that those who had not been baptized were sinners. Uh, all conversion accounts necessitate such. Yes, so he's saying you got to be lost before you can be saved. There are, that all individuals desiring to be baptized had developed faith in God, see faith in Christ, the Son of God, and believe uh, believed in his death, burial, and resurrection. See that all believers desiring baptism had to repent and to change or turn their mind from sin. See, or I guess this is D, that all those believers who had repented of their sins had to confess their faith in Christ, and E, that all being baptized into Christ would enter into fellowship with Christ and his spiritual body, the church. Okay. Mohan, things that must precede baptism is that one must understand who Jesus is and believe Jesus is God. When teaching someone about repentance, we should show them what exactly it means to be a disciple of Christ and discuss not only repenting from sins of commission, but also sins of omission, and that they need to count the cost of being a disciple. Upon confession, then baptism can occur. I reject the altar called baptism practice in many churches where it can be no different than the evangelical altar call of receiving Christ if the person being baptized does not know what the Christian life will entail. They have to know what they are doing for the baptism to be valid. In the Great Commission, we are commanded to first teach or make disciples, then baptize and teach some more. Okay, so he, I agree with Mohan. We need to make sure the person who's being baptized understands absolutely that uh, they're they're, the cost. they're entering into a covenant relationship here. Dwight, as the Scripture teaches us, we must hear the Word of God. Romans ten seventeen, believe the Word of God. Romans Mark sixteen sixteen, confess Jesus to be the Son of God. Romans ten nine and ten, and repent of our sins. Acts two thirty eight. If we omit any of these commands of the inspired writers, we have failed to follow God's will. And Grant, for sake of time, we'll just say Grant says exactly the same thing and, and has the same steps. Yeah, thank you, Grant. All right, real quickly, let's take this last point, because this goes again to what the Catholics are practicing. Can we be sure that a particular form of baptism is essential? Sprinkling, pouring, immersion. I, I didn't take time to make a, a slide of this, but in the news story, there I don't know if anybody can see that or not, but there's there's a picture of a Catholic priest Pouring water on the head of an infant baby. Oh, interesting. He's got a little egg sh- or a little clam shell or a seashell or no, something. That's a, yeah, that's a scallop shell. Yeah. yeah neat. But, interesting. Uh, but gold uh, cupboard, I guess. What about that? Well, yeah. I think this is this is such an easy one, Nick. I can't believe that it's been controversial through the ages because you've mentioned a couple times already tonight that baptism is called a burial. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Know ye not that so many of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism. Colossians 2, 12. Buried with him in baptism. You know, baptism is a burial. When you baptize someone, you, or excuse me, when you bury someone, you don't just sprinkle a little dirt on them. You cover them up. And, and I mean, that, that imagery is so clear in the scriptures. Um, Actually, the fact of the matter is the, the the New Testament word baptize comes from the Greek word baptizo. 
That was one of those words that they didn't actually translate it. There was probably some corrupt motives as to why they wouldn't translate baptizo uh, into the English word. Because the, the, the Greek word baptizo means to dip, to plunge, to submerge, to immerse. That's what the word means. And all Greek scholars, every Greek scholar acknowledges that. Uh, but so when they when the English translators of, of the New Testament got to that word, well, the practice of sprinkling and pouring was already well underway, and they didn't want to cause a lot of ripples, so they just brought that word over. They anglicized the word baptizo, baptize. But everybody, all Greek scholars agree, and all church historians agree that the only mode of baptism in the first several centuries of Christianity was immersion by baptism. They all agree. Nobody argued. Sprinkling and pouring came along later. It was initially called clinical baptism. And it started because maybe somebody they imagined was too sick to be immersed. And so they decided it'd be okay just to sprinkle some water on it. Well, who gets to say that? You know, uh, that was taking authority on themselves that they didn't have. But again, the very word means to immerse. It's interesting that the the, the, Rome, the Catholics are so interested in following the rules that they made up about what you say. They're not interested in following what the scriptures teach about the mode of baptism, Nick. Uh, it looks like you would uh, at least take the scriptures on the same par as your tradition or your commandments. But you see the problem here. They've elevated their commandments over what the Bible teaches. Yeah, Catholicism has a many, many other problems besides the ones we're talking about in that particular issue tonight. As as Greg said earlier, it'd take a while to talk about all of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Let's see. Kent, Kent says, yes, we can definitely know such because such is based upon the meaning of the New Testament Greek word baptizo. Or uh, both are defined as immersion. We can also know such in valid English translations based upon the context and the way it's worked. Yeah, good point, Kent. Just from just from the contextual use of the word baptize, uh, Acts 8, verses 38, 39, Philip and the eunuch, they both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water. So, again, if you didn't know anything about the meaning of that word, you get the picture there. Uh there's that verse that we referenced earlier, John 3.23. John was baptizing in Enon near to Salem because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. You know, if John was sprinkling people, Nick, he could have done that out of a mud puddle in Jerusalem. But they went all the way out to the Jordan River because they needed enough water to immerse people. Mm, interesting. Mohan says, uh, by looking at the examples of the Bible in the Bible of baptism and the definition, we know the mode is immersion. Thank you for that, Mohan. Dwight says, we can see from the scriptures, the form of baptism was immersion. The Greek word baptizo actually means to dip or immerse. And that is exactly what the eunuch did. He went down into the water. There's no call for going into the water to be sprinkled or poured. Romans, you wouldn't even have to get out of the chariot for that, Dwight. Romans 6, 3 and 4 says, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we also should walk in newness of life. Kind of an interesting story. We're out of time. I heard in a debate one time, the, the, the guy who was arguing for sprinkling tried to represent that Philip and the eunuch. The eunuch said, see, here's water. He held up his canteen. He held up his canteen and said, see, here's water. What does hinder me from being baptized? Well, that'd be fine 
if you can figure out how Philip and the eunuch got into the canteen, because it says they both went down into the water. Well, along those lines, <laughs> along those lines, Grant and Janie asked, "Do both need to go into the water?" I would. That's. I think that's obviously preferred by the pattern set there in Acts chapter eight. I have known of instances where. There was maybe, in fact, I've even seen some baptistries that are designed to have the baptizer stand outside, but the person being immersed is is in the water and completely covered up. I think preferentially we'd want to do what Philip and the eunuch did, but I don't know that we could demand that. All right. Thought on that, Nick? Well, from what we've been saying, and I, you know, uh, certainly we believe that the baptizer himself, he, he does, if he doesn't get wet, much other than his hands and yeah. assistance, that would be good enough. Yeah, I think so. All right. Um, and um, here Grant says, yes, we see an approved example of the conversion of the eunuch in Acts 8, 36-39. They went into the water, came up out of the water. Uh, additionally, Apostle Paul refers to baptism as a burial in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. All right, great. Uh, thank you for that, Grant. And uh, Eric has visited what was supposed to be Peter's home in Capernaum. And there was a walk down into tub or basin, and he inst- and Eric instantly thought about immersion baptism. I have actually baptized people in bathtubs before. Uh, uh, I'll tell that story another time. We're out of time. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that gets our chat room. Uh, oh, uh, Dwight says, are we saved if we are baptized without confessing? Are we saved if we are baptized without repenting? They, things need to be in the proper order. Exactly right. Good discussion tonight. Kyle, we have not gotten thoughts from you tonight. That's a good study. I think it's something we have to have a a good understanding of if we're going to do what the Bible says. What I think is really interesting is look at the mess the Catholics have got themselves mm-hmm. into because they just didn't follow the Bible. They they invented a bunch of stuff that wasn't in the Bible. Now they've got themselves in a, in a big jam. That's what happens when we don't demand authority because if you can't, don't demand authority for everything, you can't demand it for anything. And if you demand uh, you, you follow traditions, then you're just giving it all away. Uh, complete uh, an excellent example of why it is important we just do what the Bible says. Nick. And that is the traditions of men we're talking about because right. God hands down things to us uh, that are is traditions says, from God. But traditions. That's, yeah. they, there's a world of difference between the traditions that God has handed down hey, and hey, those amen. that men amen. are making up and that's not right. basing it upon the script. That's right. Yeah. Thanks for being here tonight, Nick. Enjoyed yeah, being with you. I enjoyed it. And Dad, thanks. Enjoyed being with you as well. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for joining us on the other end of the line tonight. Again, questions at collegeu.com is the email address to use at any time. If you have questions about anything that was said, maybe you disagree, we welcome your comments, questions at collegeview.com. Hope you benefited from this uh, edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.